All right, so today is our final message in our teaching series on the spiritual disciplines. We've been in this all year long, so a good long month or so, and so it's been a good time. Spiritual disciplines are exercises that followers of God throughout the ages have uh, partaken in, engaged in, so that we might grow strong in the Lord. And our theme passage throughout all of it, I'm going to read it for you one last time, is 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 7 through 8, it says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so here, what Paul is doing is he's acknowledging that, that bodily training is valuable. He says it's of some value, no doubt. We can't argue that. But he goes on, he says, But training in godliness is valuable in every way, because this training is not limited just to this life. Instead, it strengthens that part of you that lasts forever, your soul, your spirit. It strengthens everything in every way, that part of you that lasts into eternity. So this week, many of you, I'm sure, were watching the Olympics. They opened up this past week, and uh, the Winter Olympics in Sochi. It's my favorite Olympics. I I love the snow. And we saw, if you remember, U.S. Olympic mogul skier Heidi Closer was doing Uh, her last practice run prior to getting up at the starting gate to do her very first Olympic run, Olympic competition, and she does her last practice run, and as she's going down, she tears her ACL, she breaks her her femur, which is a, a nasty fall. Heidi may never get her body back to Olympic condition, Olympic level, but what we see today is that Bodily training, it has a shelf life. We've talked about it. It, just, it has a shelf life, whether it's young because of an accident or in your old age. It has a shelf life. But training in godliness, there is no shelf life. It goes well into eternity. That All the training that we do to grow in the Lord here lasts into eternity. And, and I just pray that you are latching on to some of these eternal benefits as we've been going through this series. I've been, I've been praying that through this six weeks that you will see these things and you will apply these things and you will... Uh, grow stronger in the Lord. And as I've said, we can't really be exhaustive. There is no exhaustive list of spiritual disciplines out there, uh, but there are numerous, numerous spiritual disciplines. What we're looking at is we're just looking at some of the the foundational ones. And today we're going to look at a, a vital, vital exercise that is surprisingly difficult in strengthening ourselves in our our faith. All other exercises that we've looked at have really involved doing something. The exercise we're going to look at today involves strategically doing nothing. You like that? Strategically doing nothing. And so the exercise today is the exercise of rest. We're going to look at the exercise of rest. Numerous disciplines fall under uh, the disciplines of abstinence is what we call them. The, the disciplines of not doing things. So uh, solitude would be an example of that, just being alone, uh, fasting, uh, focusing in on the Lord in prayer, uh, submission, and, and rest. And I really want to look at, at rest uh, together this morning for the, for the last time in our spiritual discipline series. And so Mark chapter 2, uh, 23 through 28 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the seats here. And if you don't have one at home, just take those home. That'd be our gift to you. But Mark chapter 2, uh, 23 through 28 is where we're going to be. Uh, we will bounce around a bit, but we will eventually land in this passage and spend most of our time in this passage this morning. Mark 2, 23 through 28. I'll start before we read it with, with a confession, if I can. Uh, my name is Josh, 
and I am a workaholic. I'm a workaholic. I, I love my work. I, I could easily wake up at 5 a.m. and go till 10 p.m. and just not stop. I see the importance of, of what I do, and once I start, I just have trouble stopping. I am a workaholic, but fortunately, nine years ago, there was an intervention in my life. Uh, and I, I've told some of you this before, uh, but I, I just can't talk about Sabbath with, without mentioning my intervention. Uh, my first year of ministry was really insane. I mean, it was just, it was just nuts. In, in one year, I graduated from college. I moved to this new region of the country, New England. I began my ministry. I was married all in a matter of two months. It was just, just nuts. And, and the ministry that I was in then was very similar to the ministry that we're here uh, in today. It was a new ministry start. It was very entrepreneurial. There were no systems that I could just kind of slide right, right into. There were no clear boundaries. It was just very simply, hey, you create the systems if you want a system. Uh, make this work. Uh, see this thing grow. So, so here's what that meant for me as a newly married very green pastor uh, who had no friends because I was new to the area. It seemed like I had all the time in the world, and it was just, hey, try to build this thing. And so I woke up early. I worked all day long. I ran ministry events by night, and I traveled on the weekends. It was just, just insane. And my poor wife, who's my, my new wife at this point in our life, was finishing up a degree. She was teaching. She was coming to every ministry event with me. And the story doesn't end with, you know, us crashing and burning and just falling apart. I was young. I was passionate. I felt like I had all the energy in the world. Nothing was going to stop me from what I was up to do. And and some of you in here, you feel that way. You feel like I have no need to slow down. I'm just going to burn through this. I'm crushing it. I'm killing it. I'm passionate about what I'm doing. I have big dreams and nothing's going to slow me down. Anybody? Others of us in here, you're pressing on. But you're tired. You're, you're, you're really exhausted. But as you look at your life, you don't see how you could possibly slow down. Like, there is no way that I can slow down. There's just too much to do. So here's what happened for me. Right around our, our one-year anniversary, my wife and I were reflecting on a year of marriage. And we, we do that uh, periodically, just sit down and think and reflect. We were actually doing that uh, last night together. And, and as we're reflecting on our first year of marriage, to my surprise, intervention. My wife started crying, and I was just stunned. I'm like, Why are you crying? What's going on? I mean, I thought everything was perfect. I mean, I am the perfect husband, and, and <laughs> she, was, she was crying, and she was tired. She was, she was struggling. She wanted more time with me. She wanted to know that, you know, how can we build a family at, at this pace? She expressed her concern not just for herself and her dream for our family, but her concern for me, she didn't see how I would last very long going at this pace. And you know what this goon said back to her? <laughs> I said, you have plenty of time with me. I mean, last night we were at the soup kitchen together. Uh, you, we, you sit in on my classes. We, we go to church together five times a week. And, and for her, it was, listen, being in the same room together is, is not spending time together, right? And she wasn't just selfishly concerned for herself. She was concerned for me. And her pre-mama instincts were kicking in. And she's thinking, if we're going to have kids, this is not going to work. She's thinking about me when gray hair starts sprouting and, and, and I don't have all the energy in the world. And she's thinking about other people as well. 
The girl may be little, but she, man, she can scrap, and uh, she can hold her own, and she, she did. So, so here's what we did. I got on the phone, and I called up a friend of mine who has a cabin up in New Hampshire, and numerous times she had said, hey, if you ever need the cabin, you and your, 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 you know, your wife, your newlyweds, you got to get away. It's, it's yours if you ever need it, and I just, I don't know, too much to do. We're too busy. We got a lot. We're, we got a mission, and we're going for it, and I called her up, and I said, hey, that cabin, can, can, we, can we do that? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. And so within a matter of, of weeks, we were up in New Hampshire at this cabin. And can I just tell you what happened for me? Detox. I mean, I was, I was at the cabin, and I was just jittery. I got to do something. I can't just sit here. I got I to work. I was, my laptop is staring at me, just saying, open me. And I, I, couldn't, I just knew I couldn't open it. I was feeling guilt. Anybody? Just feeling guilty for, for slowing down. And guilt is a, uh, is a tool of the enemy that shames you, and he was giving me, giving me guilt, and that shame could destroy me, it could destroy my marriage, it could destroy my family, and so I was detoxing from workaholism, but I was able throughout the course of the week just to learn how to, to, to rest a little bit, and what I found, and maybe you found this before, is, is oftentimes it's not until you rest that you realize how much you needed rest, you know what I mean? I remember going out on a kayak in the middle of the pond, and it was the first time since my degrees that I had actually read a book for pleasure. And I read, I think, half of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity floating in the middle of a pond on a kayak. My wife and I got on kayaks, and we w- went around the pond and all these little you know, creeks and rivers and things on the side. Uh, we, we had a good time. We'd go into town and get ice cream. We'd just sit and rest and talk and pray and read the scriptures together. And for me, reading the scriptures and not reading them so that I could prepare to teach them somewhere, it was, it was huge for me. And I learned how to refresh. My mind was no longer contracting and flexing back and forth and, and, and working. And I realized I really needed to re- recover a bit. And so did my body from early mornings and, and, and late nights. And when I strategically ceased from working, ceased from creating, I, I was refreshed like I have never been before and it was so crucial for for me for my marriage for my ministry for my future family the children that were yet to come and listen i so want this for you and so listen as we study spiritual exercise exercising the soul we must think about rest have to think about rest those athletes out in Sochi right now, you probably heard the story. It's kind of crazy. Their sleeping arrangements, a lot of them don't even have pillows to sleep on. So they're saying, please send us pillows. We need, we need, I mean, can you imagine? It's so important to get rest so that they can do the thing that they do. And the same is true for us, that we've got to give our muscles, whether it's our mind, our spirit, our bodies, time to stop contracting so that we can relax and recover and rebuild and, and, and recuperate constantly flexing and we've got to slow down so that we can build rest is a is a key component to you growing in the lord so we left our our trip in new hampshire and really developed for ourselves a plan as to how we were going to have a regular lifestyle of of resting doesn't mean we're going to be lazy and not do anything all the time but we're going to have a regular pattern of resting built into our lives we're going to slow down we're going to put our focus on the lord on our marriage, we're going to have fun together, we're going to focus in on family, we're going to fill up the tank. Now, I think it would be safe to assume that this isn't just my story, that this story resonates with, with many 
of you. I would imagine that if I were to go around the room and to poll everybody, I'm guessing probably safe to say nine out of ten people in this room would say, I'm busy. I'm just so busy. I feel like I have no time. I'm busy. I think it's pretty safe to say that that would be true. In fact, I was reading something uh, not long ago that was talking about identity of different people in major cities around the country. People in New York City, their identity, their value, their worth in themselves was found in their power, how much real estate I own, how much money I own. Uh, in Los Angeles, their identity, their value, their, their worth was found uh, in the statistic with how well they play on the weekend. So I went surfing, I went to this party, I went to this club. You know what it was in Boston? Our identity, our value, our worth, how busy I am. You have a conversation with somebody, and what's the first thing they say? Oh, how are you? I'm so busy. That's a way of saying, I'm so important. People need me. And you know what? That might not necessarily be very honoring to the Lord. We live in Boston. And Boston is full of transient people, people who aren't originally from Boston. This room is full of people who aren't originally from Boston. People come to Boston for greatness, right? For academic success, for career success, to jumpstart the career for a nonprofit or giving back success and aspirations, and you're full speed ahead, and I cannot slow down. And God is, is pleased with that, but it's all going to come to a screeching halt if we don't discipline ourselves to strategically rest. I've heard it said that if you don't take voluntary rest, you're going to be forced to take involuntary rest. As your mind breaks down, as your body breaks down, as your marriage breaks down, as your children break down and rebel, we must rest. And so this morning is your intervention, all right? It's your intervention. The word rest in the original Hebrew language is Shabbat. Sound familiar? It's where we get the word Sabbath. And here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus addresses Sabbath. So look with me, Mark chapter 2, we will read 23 through 28. It says, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they, he and his disciples, made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests, any but the priest to eat? And also gave it to those who were with him. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man, that's his favorite name for himself, Jesus. The son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here Jesus is is out with his disciple and they come across some controversy. Not uncommon for Jesus. They're going through the fields, and it says that the disciples start to pick or pluck heads off of the grain. They were looking for some food, and they were plucking the heads off the grain so that they could eat. And, and since we're looking at rest today, I think it's really important to, to, to note that the ministry of, of Jesus, he and his, his crew of disciples, this rugged group of, of guys, they weren't, they weren't going about this lush, lavagant, flashy kind of ministry, living, uh, staying in high-end hotels and, and flying around in their private Learjets. No, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 8, 20, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. So there are times when Jesus didn't even have a place 
to, to sleep. They're not sitting in golden thrones on, on CBN and asking for your money in exchange for miracles and, and, and prayers. No, they were not lazy. They were working to the bone, walking everywhere, living humbly. So humbly that, that this day's meal was picking heads off of the grain and just eating very simple food. Now, to be clear, this was not stealing. This was a part of God's provision for them in, in the law. God laid it out in the law that uh, in order to provide for the poor landowners to, to harvest their, their fields, but not the edges or the margin of their field, so that people who were passing by who were poor could pick that and could eat. And so his disciples start to pick and eat off of the edges. And then what happens? The Pharisees, this legalistic Jewish sect, finally find an opportunity where they can nail Jesus. And they pounce on the opportunity to nail him. And here's the transgression as they saw it. That according to the law, you cannot work on the Sabbath. So you couldn't harvest your food. You couldn't work on on the Sabbath. And so in their legalism... They, they would take this to a whole other level, saying that here what the disciples are doing by picking grain is they're working on the Sabbath because of all the hard work to flex your hand muscle, to pick it off, and to flex your bicep, and to bring it to your mouth, which is terrible hard work. It's kind of a stretch, right? They were trying to nail Jesus. So Jesus responds, and what he says to them gives us a lot on Sabbath rest and how it applies to us. But before we even get into how Jesus responds, let's back up a little bit if we can and think about Sabbath throughout the, the scriptures. The Bible walks us through this, uh, what we call Sabbath, or in the New Testament we call the Lord's Day, what we're doing today. And so let's back up all the way to just starting with creation. We'll put some scripture up here for you. Genesis chapter 2, it reads this, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he, what's that word? Rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So think about units of time with me for just a minute, if we can. So the the day exists because that's how long it takes for the earth to rotate on its axis. So that's a day. The month exists because that's how long it takes the, the, the moon to go through its phases. The year exists because that's how long it takes the earth to revolve around the sun. But why does the week exist? Why did we divide it by sevens? It's because right here in Genesis chapter 2, two, God created everything in six days. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested. He said, we're going to rest. We're going to reset. We're going to start this over again. And that word rested again is the word Shabbat or Sabbath. And listen, God didn't Sabbath or rest because he was tired. God doesn't get tired God rested because he's setting for us a precedent. I want my people to, to rest. And so he later then makes it law. If you look into to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, he says this. He says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He says, I don't want anybody to work. I don't want anybody to work on the, on the Sabbath. That was Old Testament law. You, your spouse, 
your, your children, your employees, not even your animals. Like, I want them to, to rest and refresh on the Sabbath day. Also, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, it points out that, that, that God's gift for his people as they're coming out of slavery in Egypt is Sabbath. That they were working seven days a week as slaves in Egypt in their exile there. And the Sabbath was a gift to them coming out of that. You've been working so hard. I want you not to have to, to do I want you to be able to rest, to take a day just to cease from working and to honor me. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is God in human flesh. And he and the Pharisees are constantly clashing on this Sabbath issue. You go into the next chapter, chapter 3, and they're clashing yet again on the, the Sabbath issue. They accuse Jesus of breaking the Old Testament law. But remember, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I'm not killing Sabbath. I'm fulfilling Sabbath. And so under Christ, we're not bound to the Old Testament Mosaic law anymore. Nine of the Ten Commandments we observe. Why? Because they're repeated in the New Testament. Except for which one? What's the other one? Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath and, and keep it holy. It's not explicitly repeated in the New Testament, but here's what we need to remember is that Sabbath or, or rest was at creation. So it's even pre-law. It's before the law. It's what we call creation mandate. This is how God designed it to be. I want you to rest. And also, uh, we see here in chapter 2 that Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. And so we take his lead. We follow his lead on the Sabbath. What did Jesus do? That's what we need to do. We also will read in the book of Acts and in the book of Revelation that early Christians began to worship on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, instead of Saturday. Why? Because that was the day of the resurrection of Jesus. That's also just a side note, what I call circumstantial evidence. It's not going to put the nail in the coffin in terms of, see, Jesus rose from the dead. But it's a massive thing that all these believers who were previously Jewish start worshiping on a different day of the week. If you've ever grown up in church life, you know that to get Christians to, to change plans on something, a lot of them, takes a lot of work. Like, we've got to vote on it. You know, we're going to build a building and what the windows are going to look like and the carpet's going to look like. It takes a lot of work. Like, almost overnight, they go from worshiping on Saturday to Sunday. Just circumstantial evidence that Jesus did resurrect from the dead. So add that to your repertoire. But we need to see that Christians began to Sabbath or to rest on Sunday. Now, Jesus takes the Pharisees to school as he talks about, okay, what does Sabbath look like for us today in Mark chapter 2? And I want to I look at this. And as we do it, I just want to grab some takeaways if we can. Just, just some takeaways. So let's ask the question, why Sabbath? Why rest? Because some of you are where I was. Like, I feel fine. I don't feel the need to stop. I'm pressing on. I got big goals. I'm going for it. I, 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 don't, I don't need to. Or others of you, I, I know I need to, but I can't. And so let's talk about why do we need to do it with those excuses in mind. First one is this. You might want to write this down. Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is a gift from God. And we can't be so prideful as not to receive the gift that God is, is giving us. What does Jesus say to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, 27? He says, Sabbath was made for who? For man, for mankind, not man 
for, for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is, is a gift to mankind. It's, it's made for, for man. It's not a burden for man. It's, it's a gift for man. It shouldn't be this burden that keeps my disciples from being fed today. It's, it's a gift for them. He, he then points them back to the Old Testament example of, of David. If you know the story, David was fleeing from King Saul. He comes to the city of, of Nob, and, and there the, the priests give him bread of the presence to, to eat and to refresh him. Now, according to the law, that bread was reserved only for the priest. But God didn't condemn David for eating that bread, did he? No, because God's law and, and God's Sabbath is, is there to serve and bless God's people. And here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, listen, listen, you are, are seeking to burden God's people with an inappropriate application of the, the Sabbath. Sabbath is, is a gift. It's not a burden. Listen, we have to receive this gift. Ask yourself the question, am I, am I receiving this gift? Or am I piling up all these excuses as to why I cannot receive this gift from God? It's a gift that he wants you to receive. Think about the, the impact it would have had on Israel if you're one of them. Seven-day work week as slaves being whipped on the back. And God says, here's a day. Just nothing. Just rest. You're, you're not working on this day. I mean, what a gift. You're eventually going to thank him for that gift, I promise you. You're eventually going to say, thank you, God, for giving me the freedom to rest. And let me say, your family, your marriage, your friends are eventually going to say, I'm so thankful that you took the gift. Don't insult God. Take the gift. Here's the second thing. Sabbath is a necessity. Sabbath is a necessity. Again, you may be like me and you say, ah, it's not a necessity. I'm good. I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm good. It is a necessity. Listen, if you want to be effective in your life, you have to receive Sabbath. You have to receive the gift of rest. We've already established that if you don't take a voluntary rest, you're going to be forced to take an involuntary rest. 40 million adults in the U.S. struggle with anxiety disorders. 40 million adults. Just too much pressure, too much stuff happening, and they're anxious, not slowing down to rest. One in five Americans say that they are under extreme stress. Most Americans say they're under stress, but one in five say we're under extreme, almost unbearable stress. We've got got to slow down. It is a necessity. And some of you would say, well, it's not a necessity now, maybe later. Listen, starting when you're young, you are setting habits and trends that will go throughout the rest of your life. You have to start these things now. You have to start these things now. Also notice in, in verse 27 when Jesus says Sabbath was for man, he's not just talking about for you personally. He's talking about for, for mankind. And so by you observing the Sabbath, it's going to serve other people well also. You show up to work cranky on Monday because you didn't slow down all weekend when it was there for you to, to slow down. It was the Sabbath not serving them because you didn't, you didn't partake of the Sabbath and you didn't rest. Don't just take it self-centeredly. When I don't slow down and rest, 
listen, it's not just about me. It's about my family. My kids are a mess when I don't slow down and rest and refresh and play with them. It's, it's true. So it's your relationships, your friendships, your marriage, your children. Friday, I was dropping my kids off at school, my two boys. And we pray on the way to school. We kind of have this spot where we stop and pray and at the stoplight. And we were praying on the way to school. And this time, my oldest son, Isaiah, he's seven, said, I'll, I'll pray for us, Dad. So he prays on the way to school. And I was taken back by his prayer. He said, God, I pray that today Daddy would finish all of his work so that we can spend time together on Saturday and on Monday, fun day. That's my off day. I said, what did you just say? <laughs> like you don't even realize how crucial it is to them, but they need me to rest. It is a necessity, not just for me, but for, for them as well. A few weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, when we were looking at just the, the exercise of community and being plugged into a church. You remember that passage? And in that passage, uh, what we see is that we are called to partake in this, meeting together, the Lord's Day as a church. We're to do this all the more, more and more and more and more and more as the day draws near. And we're doing so so that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You're helping other people by you resting and partaking in the new Sabbath, being with God's people on on Sunday. And so whether it's your vocation or your marriage or your family, all relationships, your, your church, your rest serves other people. It's a necessity, not just for you, but it's a necessity for other people. You've got to be refreshed and recharged for serving the Lord for the rest of your week, physically, intellectually, spiritually. You've got to do it. So listen, if you're, if you're a blue-collar worker and you're on your feet, all day long, take a nap, lay on the sofa, snuggle with your kids, with your spouse, right? Watch a movie with your, your, your children, your friends. Just rest. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Fill up your, your tank. If you're, if you're a white-collar worker, you're, you're like me, you're in front of a computer or a desk all day, and you're thinking, you're studying, get out in the woods, go on a hike, go skiing, go do something. Go be with God's people. Go be with God. Pray, run, uh, exercise. Just, just refresh and, 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 and fill up your tank. But think about what that looks like so that you can fill up your tank. It is a necessity for you. So it's a gift. It's a necessity. And, and the last one, and maybe you'll really feel this one, is that oftentimes it's a step of faith. Sabbath is actually a, a, a step of faith. If you look at Mark 2.28, Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. They say, my Lordship even applies to Sabbath and the laws uh, of the Sabbath. And many of us need to exercise faith in the Lord of the Sabbath. Because in our American dream-driven world, slowing down and not taking it to the next level doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We've got to exercise faith in in the middle of this. Many of us don't exercise or, or, or take a Sabbath because of a lack of faith in, in God. A lot of times we don't really believe in our heart that the world is going to keep on spinning if we stop. I'm doing this and I'm working. Think about how that's completely opposite of the gospel of Jesus, huh? It's he did it, he did it, he did it. And our 
not taking a Sabbath and saying, no, it's me. I've got to do it. I've got to make it happen. Completely opposite. So if you're at home, it means, hey, today, let the laundry pile up. I'm going to rest. Right? I'm going to shut my laptop, and I'm going to rest. Students, I'm going to shut the books, and I'm going to rest. It's funny how you think through all three of those and many more, and everybody thinks that their stage of life is the exception to the rule. Right? As a college student, I was like, I cannot not study. I, I can't. I have to. I'm paying big money for this. I have to do this. As, uh, as, a, as a parent, no, we can't not, you know, the laundry's going to pile up. The world's going to crash. This has to, this has to happen, right? Now, listen. Again, I don't want to be legalistic because as we read this, this whole thing is about Jesus saying, I'm making exceptions here. Matthew chapter 12 says this. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus makes exceptions for, for the priest as well. And so for me as a pastor, I don't necessarily Sabbath so much on, on Sunday. And so I call it Monday fun day. And my kids, we, Monday is like just day off. We're together. Don't call me on Monday unless somebody has passed away, right? So God makes allowances, right? God, God makes allowances. But every person should, should Sabbath. Do not think that you're exception to the, the rule. Don't be the student who never rests, never participates in corporate worship because you're school load. Take a step of faith and watch how God blesses your studies if you say, I'm going to actually do what he told me to do. Maybe you're, you're a parent who never participates in corporate worship because it's just not real convenient for my children. It's a lot of work to get them there, and I, I can't do that. Take a step of faith and watch how God blesses. Listen, I, I told you this before, but as a parent, I understand when you have young children, Sunday is never convenient, ever. But it's a step of faith, and God blesses you for that. Don't be the working man or woman who never rests and worships because I have a big project tomorrow. I got this deadline that's due. Take a step of faith and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do this and watch how God how he blesses. There's never a shortage of excuses. Listen to Exodus chapter 34, 21. I just want to give this to you. It says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Catch this. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. See what God just did there? He says, oh, I hear your excuses. Uh Uh-uh. You shall rest in plowing time and in harvest. But it's exam week. In plowing time and in harvest. But I got a big project tomorrow. In plowing time and in harvest. It's a command of God. He wants you to exercise faith. But God, it's harvest season. I can make a lot of money if I work today. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Feeding my family is dependent on this God. Really, ultimately, who feeds your family, God says. I do. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. It's to exercise faith. Sabbath requires faith. Sabbath is a necessity, and Sabbath is ultimately, it's a gift of God. And I promise you, it's going to be detox for many of us to start to practice Sabbath rest and to slow down and to recharge and to fill up our tanks. It's challenging. But listen, I'm telling you, as you start to exercise faith and you start to receive this gift, you're going to realize, man, this was so crucial for my life. 
I want you to think this week about how I can incorporate Sabbath into the rhythms of my life. What does my life and my rhythm look like? Married, unmarried, children, no children, you're setting a trend and a trajectory for the rest of your life. I'm asking you to sit down and think through a Sabbath plan this week. Sometimes we have to work really hard at rest, huh? But it's, it's so worth it for you and for the other people in your life. One closing thought, and we've, we've kind of touched on it already. In Matthew chapter eleven twenty nine, Jesus says this. He says, take my yoke upon you, and he says, and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So there's weekly rest that God wants for us, and then there's also eternal rest. And he says, listen, eternal rest is found in Jesus, in trusting in Jesus. You will find rest for your soul. Scriptures in Revelation will tell us that eternity apart from Jesus is what he calls eternal unrest. But eternity, for those who follow Jesus, it's eternal rest. And he's saying, I want to give you rest for your souls by trusting in what I have done for you. Trusting in that you're not the one who's spinning this world in emotion. It's me. Trusting in that Jesus has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself, that he died on the cross paying the penalty that he didn't deserve for sin because he walked a perfect life, but he took it in our place. So for you to trust in Jesus and to receive eternal rest is, is crucial. So I'm calling us today, believers, first and foremost, to say, listen, I'm going to think through how I might rest and really do that well and honor the Lord and exercise faith in the Lord in that. And for those who, you're, you're not a believer yet, you just haven't given your life to Christ, you're not necessarily a follower of God, to really ask yourself, do I have eternal rest? Am I one who has trusted in Christ and what he has done for me? And if not, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be made right with God. You have to call out to him and say, I recognize what you've done for me, and I turn and I trust in you. That's what I'm inviting you to today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these truths. God, thank you that you are so good and so gracious to us that you could have easily said, they have turned their back on me, they have been unfaithful, they get no gifts, they get what they deserve. But thank you that you give us your gracious gift of Jesus, your son, that we can be made right with you, we can be restored to right relationship with God. And God, thank you for even how Sabbath is a reminder of your good and graciousness to us, your gift. And God, I pray that we would be a people who are marked by faith in God, that we would say it's a priority to refill and to refuel and to recharge and to rebuild by being with God and being with his people and resting and refreshing and ceasing from creating as our creator God did because I trust that he's got it and he's going to fill me up. Lord, help us to really develop this rhythm of life. Help us to really think through how that looks in our own life and take it very seriously because it's creation mandate. And God, for those who have never given their lives to Christ Jesus, 
I pray that in this moment they would see their need for you. That they would long for certainty of eternal rest. And they would turn from sin and they would turn to following you. God, would you implant that faith in their heart. Lord, we worship you as we finish out today. In the name of Jesus, amen.